Welcome to Advance with MUSE Health. I'm your host, Erin Spain. This show's mission is to help you find ways to preserve and optimize your health and get the care you need to live well. There's an exciting new program under development at MUSC Hollings Cancer Center dedicated to precision oncology, where doctors will be tailoring cancer treatments based on a patient's DNA or the DNA of their cancer tumor. Leading this effort is Dr. Tai Ho, a physician scientist who treats genitourinary cancers and aims to translate bench discoveries into patient care in his lab. Dr. Ho joins us today with a preview of how the Precision Oncology Program and a Precision Oncology Tumor Board will improve cancer care across South Carolina. He will also share expertise in kidney cancer care and research. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. You are new here and you will be heading up this new effort, the Precision Oncology Program and a Precision Oncology Tumor Board. Tell me a little bit about your background and your work as a physician scientist. I was originally born in Japan and then I lived in Belfast, Ireland, New York City, Texas. I was on faculty at Mayo Clinic, Arizona for the past 12 years before coming to MESC. As a physician scientist, my goal is to identify things that are unique to patients in the clinical side take it into the laboratory, study it further, and then bring it back to the patient. So the goal is I can seamlessly navigate the sides of both clinical, where you're seeing patients, as well as preclinical, where you're trying to use different actionable targets or gene alterations for the purposes of designing new drugs. Tell me about precision oncology and how that's taking place here at MUSC Hollings Cancer Center. This is something that Physicians have already been using at MUSC. One of the things that we like to do here is try to identify how a tumor is driven by certain genes and certain drugs target those certain genes. The advantage of doing that is sometimes patients don't necessarily need to undergo chemotherapy. Instead, they take a pill and that has the same effect, if not better effect than chemotherapy and spares patients of side effects while having increases in shrinkage of tumors. So the goal of these precision medicine analyses is try to identify which tumors might respond better to pills better than chemotherapy, and that could spare patients of some of the side effects associated with traditional chemotherapy. That really illustrates how powerful genetic screening can be. Tell me a little bit more about some of the genetic screening that is offered to patients at MUSC Hollings Cancer Center. Any patient that comes through MUSC has an opportunity to undergo genetic screening, looking at what we call germline testing. So this is looking at DNA uh, and genes that could be inherited from mom and dad. This can be accessed through talking to your physician or getting a referral to medical genetics. The other opportunity for genetic testing is actually having your doctor order testing on the tumor that's removed from your body. This is what we call somatic testing. The key difference between somatic testing and germline testing is that with germline testing, this is something that's inherited from mom and dad, and that can be passed on to children, brothers, and sisters. Where somatic testing means that DNA alteration only occurs in that tumor, and that's not inherited. So that really affects the patient whereas germline testing can affect the patient and their loved ones. There are certain syndromes where if a patient inherits an alteration from mom or dad, the risk of their children also developing the same syndrome is one in two, so 50%. For patients who have genes where they're inherited from mom and dad, we can actually attempt to prevent cancer or look for cancer before it occurs. And this is where the impact of these genomic tumor boards and 
evaluating the DNA of patients comes into play because you can actually attempt to use it to prevent cancer rather than waiting till it develops. You mentioned the Precision Oncology Tumor Board. Now you are working on bringing that together here at MUSC Hollings Cancer Center. What is that going to look like and who would be on the board? So this is a natural extension of existing tumor boards that we already have for various tumor types. Typically, patients who come to MUSC are presented at a tumor board where this comprises experts from medical oncology, hematology, pathology, surgery, radiation oncology, radiology, and pathology. But adding additional layer of the genomics tumor board means that we now have specialists that are added that include bioinformaticians, molecular biologists, medical geneticists, ethics, physicians with uh, expertise in pharmacogenomics and pharmacology. So what we're doing is they're further extending to not only the clinical data that we see when we look at patients, we're also looking at the molecular tests. So it's integration of both the clinical side with the molecular tests to better inform decision-making for patients. Tell me about the power of that multidisciplinary board coming together. Because of the nature of cancer, it takes sort of a whole team to take care of a patient. Much like when you play football, you have people who are specialized in certain positions. Similarly with your medical oncologists, your surgeons, they have certain techniques they're able to utilize, and they can utilize it with the assistance of other physicians. So by having a whole team of physicians treating a patient, you can sort of pull from the expertise from multiple disciplines to get the best care for the patient. Tell me about some of the challenges that you anticipate facing as we talk more about genetic screening of patients. Uh, I think there's always a concern from patients in terms of copay costs, how much is it going to cost them, This is something that we have to be very sensitive to because for a cancer patient to have Medicare Part B is Medicare Part D, and there's certain uh, deductible that you have to make. So let's say you have a $5,000 deductible on anything that's injected, another $5,000 deductible on pills. On top of that, you're adding $300 to $400 worth of testing plus transportation. You can quickly see how these little small numbers add up to a significant financial burden for all our patients. And these are patients who, you know, who may not have financial resources to, to cover all this. So I think one of the things that we have to do is minimize the financial toxicity to our patients. The companies that we work with, the platforms that we work with have made it a priority to offer genetic testing to patients irrespective of their ability to pay. Two, I think in terms of patient education is understanding how this information will be used. I think there's always a concern that there may be misuse of this genetic information where insurance companies would potentially change benefits or deny patients coverage based on the results of these genetic tests. And this is something that medical profession as a whole has to do better in terms of communicating to the patients uh, what the implications of these tests are. And third, I think also getting patients to understand the differences between something that's inherited versus something that's only in the tumor, because I think that's a big difference in how we manage some of these tumors. I want to talk about your lab and your role as a physician scientist. Tell me about the work that you're doing and what you're studying. So a lot of things in my laboratory are focused on kidney cancer. So one of the things that I'm working on in kidney cancer is trying to overcome what happens when patients fail immune therapy. So we know that we can use the immune system to fight the cancer, but at some point the tumor becomes resistant to it. 
And one of the things that we're doing now is we're trying to overcome that prior resistance to the immune therapy. So is there some way that we can restore the immune system to fight the kidney cancer? Or can we kind of help the immune system when it's not working as well by adding another drug that would target some of these genes such as SETD2 in kidney cancer, give it an extra boost to get the patient's immune system back online. You mentioned the gene SETD2 that occurs in kidney cancer. You've done quite a bit of research on this gene mutation. Tell me about this work. So one of the unique things about kidney cancer is that it doesn't have the traditional mutations that we see in other cancers like TP53, KRAS. These mutations that we see in kidney cancer alter how the DNA is read. It also controls how the structure of DNA is con- controlled inside the nucleus of or the, or the brain of the cell. As part of that, the gene set D2, if it's altered at a young age, this can lead to developmental delay. It can change how patients think when they're younger. And then in adult patients, when there's mutations, particularly in tumors, this can be associated with more aggressive variants of cancers. However, despite having a, a gene that we know is involved in cancer, we don't have any known drugs that target this gene. So what are you doing in your lab to address this? So we're studying tumors from patients affected by these mutations. We've also identified ways of making mouse models and engineering in these mutations. And what we're trying to do is identify what targets that we could use from drugs that are already approved by the government for other tumor types and apply it to which drugs we could also reuse for the purposes of treating cancer. By doing this, what we're trying to do is circumvent the toxicity profile associated with different drugs. So we have different phases of trials. We have phase one, phase two, phase three. Phase one trials are first in man, first in woman drugs. And often these drugs are being tested just for toxicity. And a lot of our drugs that we test often fail in this area because it ends up being very toxic for our patients. So by using drugs that are already approved by the government, we at least know what the toxicity profile is going into it, and we could reuse that drug for other diseases. How many people who have kidney cancer have this specific type of mutation in the set D2 gene? It's about 10 to 15 percent of patients affected by kidney cancer. If you look at the number of kidney cancers diagnosed in the United States, it's about 75,000 Americans, and that counts for about 4% of all new cancers. Kidney cancer, though, is one of the top 10 cancers that Americans are diagnosed with. Tell me about kidney cancer and how it affects people. So your kidneys are these bean-shaped organs. It's about the size of a fist. And what they're responsible for is for filtering the waste from the body. So that when we get rid of the waste in our urine, it essentially allows us to excrete that waste. So all of our waste that we generate from our cells is either excreted in our feces or our urine. Kidney cancer arises from that organ that filters the waste, and if not controlled, it can spread to other parts of the body, including the lungs, the lymph nodes, the brain, and the bone. There does seem to be a rise in diagnosis of kidney cancer. Tell me about that. So one of the challenges with kidney cancer is we don't have a screening test like we do in breast, colon, cervical cancer, breast cancer. In many cases, there aren't any symptoms and they're randomly found while someone is being evaluated by a doctor for other reasons. Symptoms may include abdominal pain, unexplained weight loss, blood in the urine, fatigue, or fever. Some of the risk factors are associated with older age, obesity, 
smoking, high blood pressure, any prior history of kidney failure, inherited syndrome. So these may be uh, situations where the patient has inherited a gene from either mom or dad that puts them at risk of kidney cancer. So some of these things are things that are on the rise, like obesity. And as our patients age, this also increases as well. We also know that there's been a link between military service and kidney cancer. So this is also one of the service-connected conditions that we have for patients who have served in our military. So today, if you're diagnosed with kidney cancer and it has not spread, what is the treatment? What are the different options? So once diagnosed with kidney cancer, it's very important to come to a place that's comfortable with analyzing the tumor comprehensively for the purposes of the best outcome. Because when a tumor is localized, that's generally your best chance of cure. So MUSC has the latest innovations in kidney cancer treatments where they can use a patient's own immune system to fight the cancer. They can do surgeries that are minimally invasive and maximize the tumor removal without compromising the removal of the normal kidney. With these localized cancers, we can use radiation, we can heat them up, we can uh, freeze them, And this may be an option for patients who can't undergo surgery. So it's very important for patients to come to a center that can offer all these different options so that they have the best chance of cure. Because once the tumor spreads to outside the kidney, this is now what we consider to be stage four or the highest stage of cancer, where we're just trying to buy the patients extra time, but we're not unfortunately able to cure a lot of these cases once it becomes stage four. Well, the last question is the question we ask everyone on the show, and that's what do you do to optimize your health and live well? So I think exercise is important. I like to exercise every day. I walk to work, take the stairs when I can, knowing that, for instance, at least kidney cancer, it's associated with obesity, high blood pressure. These things are very hard to treat with medication alone. These sometimes often require some sort of lifestyle modification. And I think the healthier you are going into treatment, if you are unfortunately affected by cancer, typically the better you'll be able to deal with the side effects. Whereas if you have more problems with being sedentary, not able to exercise, sometimes it can be very difficult because the side effects really wear you down. Whereas if you have a a generally healthy lifestyle, uh, it allows you to deal with the side effects a little bit better. Thank you for all that you're doing to improve cancer care across South Carolina. We're happy you're here. Thank you for having me. For more information on this podcast, check out advance.musehealth.org.